what's up, Tupac? Everybody's like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Hey, man, we're so glad you're here for a new series called Twisted, and it's been super fun. Pastor J. Tom just brought the word yesterday, last week, didn't he? He did, he did, he did awesome. What I love about uh, Pastor J. Tom is he is completely different than me. He's a JD, he's a lawyer, high education, I barely passed my undergrad, so, you know, it's just great having two different paradoxes and two different communicators, and in fact, that's really our heart here at Luminous Church, is that that one man would not be posted on the signage outside, that we wouldn't come to church serving one person, but we'd have multiple voices encouraging one another, speaking God's word, and and that's really been our heart. So every month we have a, a guest speaker, somebody different, maybe a pastor in the house, come and communicate the word. Because that's been our heart. Our heart is to see people raised up and to get different perspectives and voices to the sermon. Now before I dive into the scripture this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll be this morning, Matthew chapter 7. You can hold your place there. But before we do, I want to bring you into something with me. So over the last six weeks, I've been praying about what God wants for Luminous Church. We've been praying for a place. We've been praying for a building. And just to let you know, we have really awesome seats. These are super comfortable, right? Who's reclined right now? Everyone, right? It's just too easy. You just push the button. Why not? Go, feel free, recline. Unless you want to stay in an attitude of reverence, you know, and you may not want to recline. But I'm just saying, man, these seats are awesome. We are, we are so excited for this theater. This theater has blessed us over the last two years. But because of the new seats, Regal Corporation has, has put us into an interim contract. So we have a six-month contract. And they want to see how the church is going to steward this new facility and if it's in their best interest for us to continue meeting here. Now, we love Regal. They're awesome. They blessed us. They, they, there's over 130 Regal churches, um, churches that meet in Regal theaters across the United States. So God is reaching people at movie theaters, right? And, and maybe you stepped in for the first time to church. You haven't been in church in a long time, but you're like, it means in a movie theater? That's awesome. I'm going, right? And so maybe that's how you ended up here. Whether, what, I don't know how you ended up here, but I do want to say this, is that this facility has been awesome. We're in a six-month contract with them. We have four and a half months left of that contract, and then we will renegotiate. And if it's their best interest for us to go somewhere else, then we believe that God has another place for us. And so what we're really praying for, and what I want to do is have you join me and praying for a facility that Luminous Church can call home. That, that we can call home. And so we believe that that's going to happen. We won't be tearing up and, and putting up and tearing down the stage. It will be awesome. Our, we'll see our kids grow old in that place. We'll make disciples. We'll glorify God. And, and we know that the church is not a building. It's a people. It's you and me make up the church, right? But it's awesome to have a building that fits enough of us together so that we can worship God together and grow together. And so that's the whole point of a building. That's why we use it. We use it not to worship it, but we use it for a means to worship God. And so join me in praying for a facility. If God wants us to stay here, then we believe that they'll renew that contract with no questions asked. Uh, but if God has a place for us, and I believe one day he will. I believe one day he will. We started Portable. 
Our vision isn't to stay portable. Our vision is one day have a place to call home. So whether it's a land or a building or whatever it is, we believe that God has our best interests in mind. And he has your best interests in mind. Maybe you came in this morning, you're warning, does God really love me? Is God really for me? Is, is God, does God know my name? Does God have a purpose for me? Yes, he does. God absolutely loves you. Can we pray together for this journey over the next four and a half months and just believe that God's going to do something great? Father, we love you. And God, right now our hearts are joined together. Jesus, we're asking as a church, Father, that you would just come and that you would move heaven and make a way. And God, that you would open the doors to the place that we need to be in the next season. Father, I thank you that the church is not a mere building or a movie theater. God, although you use those things, God, a church is a people. A people together, a people here in this place, a people who are, who are doing life together. It is a family. And so, Lord, we're just play, praying right now that you would open the door to a place. We pray for that land, that building. We claim it right now in Jesus' name. And we believe that you have that in store for us. And, Lord, we're praying for a miracle. God, that's what we're asking, for a miracle, that you would move heaven. And, God, that you would show up. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, we will keep you updated. We're going to keep you in the loop. Uh, we have... Uh, it is not our heart to keep anything secret, but that we would share everything with you in our journey because you're a part of this. You're a part of our journey. So whether you're in college for four years or whether you live in San Antonio, call it your home, or you're here stationed right now in the military, we believe we are called together for this season. And I hope you believe that because if you believe it, you'll start giving to it. You'll start being a part of it. To start releasing your resources, your time, your talent, and your treasure to see the gospel advanced in San Antonio. Amen? Amen. Matthew 7, 1 through 2, it says this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you can't judge me. Turn to your other neighbor and say, only God can judge me. Right? Isn't that what we think? Only God can judge us. This is the most quoted Bible verse by non-Christians. Right? Because, because what happens is the church has done a really bad job of loving people. We've been holding people to a standard. We've been holding to a peop uh, people to a standard that they are not called to live. And we've taken this out of context. So much so. Haven't you been judged wrongly? Just a, a few of you have been judged wrongly. How many of you judge others wrongly? Yes. In fact, my wife and I were doing that yesterday. It was awesome. We were at the Pearl. We're hanging on the farmer's market and we just started watching people. Anybody like the people watch? I love the people watch. I love the people watch. And when you're people watching, really you're judge watching. And that's what you're doing. You're looking at people. Oh, can you believe that haircut? Woo, look at those shoes. Man, I can't believe those people. Hey, what do you think they make? I mean, we start doing all these things. Okay, it's for me internally in my head versus vocally to my wife. But, but my wife called me on the carpet the other day. She said, oh, you're being harsh. You're being harsh. You're judging Harshly, you need to you need to put some love in those words. I'm jacked up. 
I messed up. I am. I'm a messed up pastor trying to meet a, a lead of messed up people, right? And, and this is just crazy. We're trying to do this together. But that's what I'm doing. I've been judged unfairly. In fact, when I was 23 years old, I became a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, I thought I was going to be a landman in the oil field. And I was going to make six figures. And I was going to drive the BMW and wear a three-piece suit. And I was going to be legit, man. It was going to be awesome, right? That's what I thought. But God had other plans. And sometimes he has other plans for you. Things that aren't even, un they're unforeseeable, but actually they're beneficial. And that's what he had for me. He had a youth pastor job. And I wasn't making much money. And as I didn't make much money, I, I knew I wanted a new car. So my brother and I started looking at new cars. I was like, dude, I cannot afford that. I cannot afford a BMW right now. There is just no possible way. So I, I went to a friend who was selling a car and and looking to get rid of it, and I, it was a Land Rover Discovery too. and I was like, dude, this is legit, man, this car, woo, I'll definitely be married in this car, right, so it's awesome, it was super cool, so I went up to him, asked him how much, and what he ended up doing is gifting it to me, he gave me this car that had a retail value of $49,000, I'm like, this is crazy, yes, Lord, I'm glad I'm a youth pastor, I'm so called, it's awesome. <laughs> But what happens is the judgment that happens with that is, is all the youth kids now think that, man, I'm going to be a youth pastor. They make bank, right? <laughs> Which is not a fair judgment because they don't make a lot of money. And youth pastors don't drive Land Rover Discovery 2s. They just don't do that. But I remember coming out to church one day, and this gentleman comes up to me. He was in the church. He goes, they must pay you a lot around here, huh? I, uh, they pay me okay. I mean, you are driving a Land Rover Discovery. I mean, I mean, yeah, they must pay you a lot. I was like, actually, they gave it to me. Someone gave it to me. He goes, oh, right. And it was awesome because like when somebody judges you and then you can like hit back, it's awesome. <laughs> it's like I'll judge you first. Okay. <laughs> right. We've all we've all had unfair judgments. And the world today, the millennials today say, man, you can't judge. You can't judge me. There's no absolute truth, and judgments are unfair. But how many know we have permission to judge? In fact, maybe you are in your English class right now, and your teacher is judging your paper. right? And she's going to give you an A or an F. If she gives you an F, you'd be like, don't judge me. It's an A. Right? You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't petition that. Or maybe... You, you get chosen for the jury. Well, aren't you, as a citizen, required to judge the case in front of you? Right? So, so we see that the, the world believes in judging. We, we believe in judging and making judgments. The, the question is, do you, do you have the right to judge? And what do you have the right to judge? And, and when do you have the liberty to judge? When, when is that okay? For instance, maybe your kid gets a haircut. And it's kind of funny to you, right? A little funny haircut. Do you have a right to judge? <laughs> or maybe, maybe your kid wants to write, you know, a cuss word in his hair. Do you have a right to judge then? Or maybe you find yourself at the office place and you see a man flirting with a woman. Do you have a right to judge then? Well, what if this man is married and you know that he's married? Do you have a right to judge then? What if this man is married and he's going home and having sex with somebody who's not his wife? You have a right to judge then. When, when do we get to judge? When do we get to make a judgment? How does that look? I want to bring four points to you today. Four points 
And what we have to do is we twist things out of context all the time. We read this, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Therefore, we don't think we can judge. But what is the actual context of the scripture? In Matthew chapter 6, right before chapter 7, we see that Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he was saying, you hypocrites. So he talks about hypocrites, and he's talking about that. And then later in chapter 7, he said, I want you to discern, I want you to know between false prophets and right prophets. So we hear, we see him talking about hypocrites in chapter 6, and then we see him, Jesus saying, hey, I want you to make a judgment. Don't judge! Then I want you to make a judgment. Feels contradictory, doesn't it? Sometimes we read scripture and it feels contradictory, but it's not if you read it in the context. And then, so that's the first thing. We have to read it in the context. And then two, we have to use scripture to interpret scripture. If you were to take one verse, like we're going to take next week, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Right? So famous, so well known. We have all these plans, right? So what does that mean for you? What is that scripture actually saying? Then lastly, not only do we take into context, not only do we <coughs> use Scripture to interpret Scripture, but we have to apply it. We have to be doers of what it actually says. Three things that we have to do in this series called Twisted. If not, the Scripture becomes twisted and looks a lot different. FYI, by the way, ETW, whatever. Thank you for all the Snapchat. Snapchat photos that you sent in community group. I hope that you see them up here. They were awesome. You are doing an amazing job participating in this series. So we read, we read this in Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Jesus says this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So let's talk about judging. The first thing when we want to talk about judging is never judge superficially. Never judge superficially. Like, don't be looking at people's clothes saying, Psh, Man, they're spending all their money on their clothes. Or look at somebody's clothes and say, Woo! Man, I know they make more than that. They can dress better than that. Right? Like, don't be judging superficially. Don't look at that. Don't judge by just what you see. John 7 24 says this stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. Yeah. Let's not just look at people's appearance. Have you ever seen that person drive the BMW and you're like, oh man, they're just wasting all their money. That's probably their tithe money going to that BMW payment. Uh -huh. If I didn't tithe, I could afford that BMW too, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's what we do. But don't judge like that. Don't judge like by mere appearance. Don't judge superficially. And in the era of social media, that's all we do. Instagram. Oh, don't like that one. I'm not going to like it. Ooh, like that one. New haircut. Oh, looks good. Ooh, bad dress. Not gonna like that. Keep going. Right? That's what we do. We make these superficial judgments. I want to encourage you not to do that. Second, never judge hypocritically. Never judge hypocritically. Romans 2, 1 and 4 says this. 
You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemned yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't judge hypocritically. How do you know we're all jacked up? We're all jacked up, and when you look in the mirror and you realize, I'm jacked up. I don't have the perfect hairline. Whew! Probably should make fun of somebody's hair today, right? I, I don't have perfection, and so I probably should not judge hypocritically if I know that I'm messed up and it gives me grace for other people, doesn't it? Your harshest judgment often reveals your deepest weakness. And pastors have abused this more than any other. We've had the pastors who said, don't do this, don't do that. Quit wearing that. Quit going there. Quit doing this. And they start pointing their finger. Like, I'm doing right now. And they start pointing their finger and saying, don't, 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 don't. But how many know those who judge hypocritically and the pastors who judge so harshly probably deal with a very deep weakness. What I've seen today in the church is I've seen pastor after pastor fall into immorality. Say, don't, don't look at porn! And they're committing an affair. Don't do this! And they're doing something else. Right? Because we, we try to cover up maybe what we're doing in secret by pointing the finger at other people. Put blame on other people because we don't want to take responsibility for our own actions. Don't judge hypocritically. And maybe you've seen this. What is your hardest judgment? What do you find yourself doing every day and every week? What do you find yourself judging? Is it the car? Is it money? Is it those things? Possibly your deepest weakness is not trusting God with your finances. Maybe your deepest weakness is you struggle with keeping up with the bills and everything else. And money is your God. I'm not sure what it is. You'll have to ask yourself that question. I do this oftentimes when I go to the gym. I go to the gym, I look at everybody who's so swole. I'm like, man, they must be, they're juicing. <laughs> they're juicing. Yeah, there's no way you can have that body. Well, my deepest weakness is I struggle going to the gym every day. And I struggle getting my body right. And I struggle eating right. So I just want to cast judgment on everybody else and deny my own problems. Because hypocritical judging leaves you in a place of naivety. Number three, never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. 1 Corinthians 5.12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. <laughs> this is so hard for me. This is so difficult for me. 
Because I live in an insulated bubble. I'm a pastor and hang out with pastors. Like, all I do is listen to worship music all day. It's like glorious. I'm constantly in the throne room of God, and it's awesome. But I'm so ignorant to the fact that there are people who are jacked up, and they aren't Christians. When I did campus ministry, I stepped on a Midland College, and, and I just thought everybody was saved. Be like, what's up, man? It's awesome, dude. Isn't Jesus awesome? And they're like, F you. I'm like, woo. <laughs> You don't love Jesus too? No. I, I notice the most is when I get out of my bubble and start moving into the things of culture and I really see that, and it's not what I thought it was. For instance, I was at a wedding Friday night and it was awesome and, and some people from our church got married and they're so great and loving Jesus and pursuing Him. But how many of you know weddings are like a big party? It's crazy. It's a big party. And what I do is in this big party is I'm like, yeah, we're all saved. We're all Christians. It's awesome. We're having fun. We're getting on the dance floor. Then here comes the alcohol. And people start drinking too much. And then, and then they start cussing. And they start doing other things. And then women start flirting with me. And I'm like, wow. What happened? What happened? We're living the same standard here. I can't hold people who don't identify with Jesus to the same standard that I live. Therefore, it gives me a great grace and love for them. If I were just to love people, it's why we say, come as you are. Come as you are. Belong before you believe. That means this. That if you don't believe in Jesus yet, you're welcome here. In fact, we made room for you. We, we, we baked, baked goods and made coffee and we so believe that Jesus loves you and wants the best for you. And if you aren't there yet, that's okay. It's great. It's okay. It's a great place to be in. And there's two different people groups in here, aren't there? Those, those who identify with Jesus, who believe in the standards that I'm talking about. The standard that, that there is sin and God doesn't like sin. And he wants us to be holy as he is holy. And we want to set out to accomplish that in a process called sanctification or the process of becoming new and like him. That's a lot of us in here. But there's a second group of people who came in and like, I don't really know about Jesus. I don't know about this thing. My friend invited me and I don't even know if I want to be here. In fact, you're looking at me right now. Stop it, please. Right? So that may be you. And we want to say, you're not held to that standard. The standard that we set to other people. You're held to the standard of your own moral compass, but we believe that that Jesus will show up because it's so much better with him. So much greater where we are. I really believe it. When we have a danger, we have a danger in this, is this. We as Christians, those who identify with Jesus, can stay in our bubble and we can become so insulated that we forget that there's a culture that needs to be reached. We have to go to people. We can't expect them to come to us. We have to go to weddings and we have to go to different events and different things. We have to start moving out. It's why when Jesus was sitting with his disciples, 
on the night he was betrayed, he was sitting there with them, and he was hanging out with them, he was eating with them, he was breaking bread with them. They, they were singing songs. They sang a hymn together, and it was heaven on earth. And that's really what we believe for the Christian circle, for those who identify with Jesus, that heaven is to come to earth, and it's why we worship, and why we praise, and, and we, don't, we don't lack, and we keep giving away of ourselves. But if you stay at the table, you miss the purpose. See, the purpose is twofold. To be at the table, but also to go. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go, therefore, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I taught you. And bring them to the table. That they may worship and see heaven on earth. And see what God is doing and what God is up to. That's what I want for you. So, so we can't just stay at the table. We must go. And that's why we have this mission that we're going to reach the campus and community and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is so much greater, but we can't do it with a hypocritical spirit. We must do it letting people know that we love them and we're not here to correct them. Number four, always help other believers have fallen, be restored. Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, who's he talking to? Christians. Brothers and sisters, those who are in Jesus. If they're caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. We must go to our other brothers and sinners. If we see them in a sin, we must go to them in hopes to restore them back to relationship with the Father and back to relationship to our community group, to our church, to one another. Isn't that what we're called to do? And it's for the Christian, it's for the believer. But as you go to restore, right? As you go to do this, do it gently. Do it gently, graciously. Man, I love you. I love you. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to do this. Come here. And be careful. Be careful as you restore them because you too may fall. What does that mean? It means this. Is that you can be in your discipleship meeting, your one-to-one -one book, your purple book, your born-to-be-free book. You can be sitting there, and you'd be like, they're confessing their sin. You're like, oh, dude, I don't struggle with that. I'm doing so much better. I'm awesome. Woo. Man, that one's tough. I'll be praying for you, brother. Right? No, we, we don't do that. Because if we do that, if we start getting haughty, and as we get prideful, pridefulness. It's just around the corner to falling and being in the same place. You have to be careful as you restore people because you don't want to get puffed up. Instead, you want to do it gently and lovingly and knowing that you're just a step away from falling. You're a step away from sin too. Do this gently and graciously. As Josh comes to close us this morning, it is my hope my dear hope that as we do judge others that we would not do it superficially 
That we would never judge hypocritically. That we would never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. And that we would always help others. Always help believers be restored. Because no one is too far gone. No one's too far gone. I love this verse in Psalm. My Filipino friend, Ramel, who campus minister, he says, God's not, arm is not too short to save. God's arm's not too short to save. God's arm's not too short to save. He told me praise Jesus, we just pray for the campus because your arm's not too short to save. And we pray for the city because your arm's not too short to save. That he can reach and touch anyone, wherever you are. You're never too far gone. In John, it says this, 114, Jesus came. And he came in grace and in truth. Grace and in truth. If you have truth without grace, then the product is rebellion. If I say you have to live this way and that way, and you must do this and that, uh oh, people will rebel against such a dogma. And if you have grace without truth, then it just gives you a license to do whatever you want to do. So much grace. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm loved. It's awesome. I can do whatever I want. But if you have grace and truth, you have this moment where God speaks truth. And here's what's right. And here's my standard. But I love you. And I want you. And I'm for you. And I'm fighting for you. Not against you. And I'm going to keep you going. And you don't give up. Right? That's the Jesus. I know. That's the Jesus I see so clearly. That in him is grace and truth. Would we do the same? Would you stand with me this morning as we put down all of our awkward recliners and try to get up in an atmosphere of worship? Jesus' love is grace and truth. Do not judge others hypocritically. Do not judge them superficially. Judge your brother and sister for the purpose of restoration. Good. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, but you've had a hard time loving people who don't look like you, I want to pray for you. Because we are a church for people who don't look like us. We are a church that holds a banner of diversity. We are a church that holds a banner for unity. We are a church that believes the best for people. And you came here this morning and, and you're like, man, I'm still checking out Jesus, Pastor Ben. And I like what you said. It was kind of cool. But I still want to know more about him. And once you come to the altar, get prayer. If that's you and you want to know more about Jesus what it looks like to follow him. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. And God, I thank you for the two people here this morning. Those who follow Jesus wholeheartedly, I pray that we would be 
the measure of grace and truth that the earth so desperately needs in this season. Let it be done in love. Let our social media be covered in love. Let our words in the break room and wherever it is be covered in love and in our discipleship meetings be covered in love and our groups be covered in love. Would we always have our words seasoned with salt that would have the flavor and the aroma of Christ? Father, for those who don't know Jesus, they come here week in and week out just discovering. Let them know there's always a place for they can explore in a safe environment. They can ask their questions. And Lord, I pray for a teachable, moldable heart. You are the potter and we are the clay. You take the clay and you mold it and you shape it how you desire and how you like. Father, out of the clay comes a masterpiece. A masterpiece so beautiful, even more beautiful than words can describe. So I'm praying, God, that in this moment that every piece of clay in here would start being molded and shaped into your likeness and your fullness. And you've not given up on anyone in here. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything on your way out, we have prayer workers right up here. We love you. Hope to see you next week for Twisted, Jeremiah 29, 11.